Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Well, it's true. You really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. Don't believe me? Well, stay tuned because today you're going to meet a real life backyard millionaire. His name is Mark Halpin. He's going to be here to discuss his thoughts on success in life as in business. And plus, what was it like in a Russian prison when he was jailed for over two weeks? That and more coming up here on The Backyard Millionaire. Say love is more precious than gold. It can be bought and it can't be sold. One of my favorite quotes goes like this, run towards your fear, watch it disappear, run from fear, and the lion will give chase. I don't know who said it, but I love it. I agree with it. I keep it written down because I think fear can be a compass of, and maybe a directional guide of and and towards where where you should be going, not blithely, but, but smartly and from a place of understanding. Because fear can indicate growth, and it could be a sign that you're about to go through some sort of a growth period. And if you if you run, well, it's going to follow you. I've been thinking a lot about money lately, and now now. Money, yes, but really, really the power of life. And when you lose somebody you care about, and, or, be it a, a family member, a beloved pet, it almost, it, it's surreal. Tiffany and I lost our beloved little Cooper, and it's really hard to even talk about still. But yet at the same time, I know people who've lost people recently. And so then there's this, there's a little bit of guilt if I could just be honest with you, there's a little bit of guilt for feeling as torn up as I am over the loss of our little King Charles Cavalier Spaniel named Cooper, whom I've loved and talked about with you for 12 years of his life. And there's this little twinge of guilt, as I say, when you, you talk to somebody who's lost a, a parent or a loved one, and you feel, well, do I have the right to be this torn up and this hurt and this emotionally wrecked? over the loss of a pet? Absolutely, because it's perspective, it's life, family, and, and yeah. So I, I've come around to the idea that, that this little spaniel left a huge heart, huge hole in our hearts. And it's, yeah, it, it's our pain and it's our perspective. And yet I can have empathy and sympathy with people that are going through something that is far more tragic in a way but it's all it's all relative. And so I was thinking the other day, as I was looking at his brother Reagan, Cooper's brother Reagan is is nine, and he's hurting. And you can't you can't console what do you do? What do you say? That his brother is gone and, and I was hurting with him and I was thinking to myself, 
that I would give anything for a, another day with him. Or if I could go back and just take the last day of his life, if I'd known it was going to be, and just sit with him and just sit there and be with him. And then the question is, well, what is money? What is value? What is what is economic success when it compares to or pales in comparison to actual life and in the meaning of life? Deep thoughts for shallow minds such as mine. Thank you for being here with me on this program, The Backyard Millionaire. You can find our uh, more information about us, my book is available at ilovehomeralaska.com or barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, wherever you want to buy a book, you can get one there. Somebody reached out to me and asked how they could get an autographed copy, which made my day. And I'm happy to send out autographed copies. Just text message me at 907-299-7653. Send me your name and address or who you'd like it inscribed to and mailed to. In this case, they'd like it mailed to their son. I'm happy to do that. 907-299-7653. Well, it's summertime. Do you ever think about where the beach chair came from? Me neither. Didn't care. I didn't even think about it. But it came from somewhere. Somebody made a million bucks in their own backyard designing the first ever beach chair. Well, who was it? How did it come about? Let me tell you about it. And when did it come about? This surprised me, and it might surprise you as well. It came about a long time ago. I mean, do you remember a time in your life where there wasn't a beach chair? Well, if you'd lived before 1882, 1882 in Germany, a basket maker named Wilhelm Bartelmann invented the Strandkorb, is what he called it, Strandkorb, a wicker chair specially designed for the beach. And here's why he made it. Remember, he's a basket maker. He made this chair, the Strandkorb, the first ever beach chair in 1882. He made it for a woman whose doctor said, you need to go to the seaside. You need the sun. You need the relaxation. And you need to get out there. But don't strain your bad back. You need to find some way to sit at the beach that doesn't put you in a strain. So this basket maker made her a beach chair and the rest is history. And of course, America wouldn't be outdone. 10 years later, uh, somebody in America created the seaside seat and his name was, oh, excuse me, her name, hello, her name was Helen Petrie, the first ever American beach chair in 1892. as in life. It's something I think about quite a bit. Tiffany and I were just talking this morning. In fact, we don't distinguish between life and business for us. We don't distinguish between art and business because both of us um, love to create. I create with written word. I create pottery, uh, books, and, and this broadcast is, is art to me and my, my way of thinking. And Tiffany does design and business development, and, and she approaches everything we do in a business way that is cool is done by Tiffany and that's her creative outlet, be it through our property development or acquisition or management style or decor, anything that anybody's ever said, we really like this about one of your properties. It's, it's come from her, but there's no, there's no 
differentiation. There's no line in the sand between art and life, business and art for Tiffany and I. It's just the way we live. And so I was thinking about that and just thinking about competition. Yesterday, I had a luncheon with somebody. I was talking to him about business and answering questions about what the real estate business is really like. And I said, you know, one thing that I learned a long time ago from a weird, weird hippie guy, he was awesome. His name was Jimmy, and he wore glasses that were as thick, literally, as maybe two Coke bottles thick. <laughs> Big, tall guy, wore little John Lennon glasses, and again, thick, thick Coke bottle glasses. And I used to see him when I'd be traveling, doing shows, selling pottery, and, and all over. And I would see him at some of these same arenas or festivals that I'd be selling at. And he said, man... I love it. You know, we don't compete with each other. No, he said, we don't compete against each other, brother. We compete with each other and we make each other better. And I thought, you know, that is such a cool way to look at the world. And so we've adopted that into our business philosophy that we don't have competition. In a book I recommend for anybody who's thinking about a business, going into business or advancing your business from where you are to where you want to go, read a book called The Blue Ocean Strategy. And that's something we adopted over about 18 years ago, is this idea that we're not in competition with anybody. We are only competing, you are only competing with who you used to be. You're competing with who you used to be as you advance towards who you want to be, who you want to become. One of my favorite authors on real estate is Gary Eldred. He wrote Real Estate 101 with uh, Donald Trump writing the foreword. And in that book, he says, when you compete against others, you lower your standards. When you compete against others, you lower your standards. That isn't to say that you don't want to win the business, that you don't want to win the bid for the property. Of course you do. Of course you want your offer to get accepted. Of course you want your tenants to say yes to your apartment, if they're the right tenants. But you're not competing with or against other people. You are literally just competing with yourself, setting your own standards high. As my friend John Calhoun always says, run your own race. And I'd add to that at the pace that you set for you. Don't compete with my pace and I won't compete with yours. See, I think this puts personal responsibility squarely on your shoulders to leave the competition in the dust simply by ignoring them while you climb your ladder. And as importantly as climbing the ladder is making sure you've leaned it against the right wall. Nothing worse than getting to the top and realizing that you've leaned your ladder of life against the wrong wall and you've been competitive against other people climbing a ladder that in the end you simply don't care about. See, without competition, you can rise above and you can soar with the eagles. Desperado why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. I know that you got your reasons. This you're listening to the Backyard Millionaire How to Create Wealth Where You Are with What You've Got. Stick around and meet a real life backyard millionaire. We'll be right back. Don't you try the queen of diamonds, boy She'll beat you if she's able The queen of hearts is always your best bet Think big, do big 
Change the idea of a thing and you change the thing, said Dr. Ernest Holmes. I'm Chris Story and you're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. Welcome to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, will I buy you a house? I will buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house, maybe. You know, I've been saying for a long time, you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. And I only say that because I believe it. And I have met an incredible number of people over the years that that I've had some amazing conversations with. Today's guest is a longtime friend of mine. And Mark and I actually have real life conversations that are interesting, that I always walk away from better than when I arrived. And I thought to myself, well, today, why don't I just share, literally share with you one of those conversations that I'm accustomed to having with my friend and real life backyard millionaire, Mark Halpin. Mark Halpin, you were a commercial fisherman who became a contractor, who became a serial entrepreneur. So, I mean, who do you think you are to do that? You know, first of all, I would I would start and say this because I think there's a base at everything, and I think it includes all of us. And that is that at a fundamental level, and this is not a, a theological answer, but I think everything stems from the fact that all of us are created in the image of Christ. And so, first of all, I would say that uh, I'm a I'm a person created in His image, and then from there, I think we just go on a journey in this life. I think we we find a way forward, and there's doors that open, doors that close. And there's opportunities that present, and there's things we say yes and no to. And ultimately, through a body of life, I think that defines us. And that's really when you get downstream or down the river, you can look back, and, and it, it, it isn't uh, linear. It isn't uh, straight. It's circuitous. But it, it, certainly, we find ourselves along the way. But when you get uh, further downstream in life and business and development, then it's it's probably easier for other people to have an opinion of who you are than than yourself. Mm, yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a really good point. So when you do you care what other people think of you? For example, when you went from commercial fishing to contracting, was there was there some concern about what what people might think? I didn't feel that way. Uh, I think there's something innate in all of us. I think it's present to different levels. Uh, it's this thing called curiosity and, uh, I had experienced fishing and I very enjoyed it. Uh, and everybody I knew was doing it and I never really liked that idea of being lost in the crowd and doing what everybody's doing. And, uh, just the capacity to do different things was, uh, exciting to me and the curiosity of how that could work out was uh, inviting to me. And so I think at a, at a root level, at a base level, we all care what people think about us. And those that say they don't are probably probably hurt or damaged somewhere. That said, of course I care, but those aren't the areas I cared about. I think it's more tied to your moral character or your fabric of how you carry out yourself as a person than what you choose to do in business. You have a philosophy about money, and anybody who's in your hemisphere knows you probably knows this that 
I would say, and, and I'm going to put these words in your mouth and you tell me if they live in your mind, that you don't care about the money. I mean, you take the money, you make money, but but you don't do what you do at the sole exclusion of money. Is that a fair characterization? It really is. I, uh, you know, money is, you know, people talk about, I think, I think if we could gather that thought into a broader thought, I would say what we're talking about is wealth. And money and wealth get conflated and confused a lot as, as if that's the metric or the measurements of it. And while it's certainly a part, uh, it's just something. It's not everything. And so when you talk about wealth, that's a broad, inclusive word. It, it deals with your relationships. It deals with how holistically healthy you are, your mental frame, your uh, your capacity to enjoy uh, certain things like sunrises and sunsets and wealth is a wealth is a spectrum. It's your, your marriage, your, uh, in fact, I just, I would say this, if somebody was saying, what's the key to wealth in that sense, Mark, I would say, well, it probably starts with one house, one spouse. And uh, it's just people talk incrementally about investing in the market or doing different things and gaining a few percentage. But uh if you want to keep the other 50%, you should probably as part of wealth invest in that relationship. And so how we treat our family, how we, how we interact in our community. I think that wealth is a pretty broad word. Money is a part of it. It's something, it's just not everything. At the backyard millionaire, we have a, a philosophy or a little fo formula that we say, basically effort multiplied by leverage equals gold or, or reward. And you get to de define and decide whatever it is you want the reward to be that's up to you but it seems to me that every, through all the walks of your life professionally or or i would say business wise you've used leverage really really well and yet at the same time you're still applying effort is there ever a point where you could see you know effortless success i mean is that a is that a pie in the sky pipe dream should do you think it's a mistake to aim towards effortless or how do you see that well, I, I, you know, I think there's this thing, there's this thing in uh, development and acquisition where uh, you uh, have mitigated risk towards your debt load, and then you, you diminish or, or dismiss that, and then you have passive income. And I think to some degree, passive income is probably as close to effortless, if you will, uh, at some level when you achieve elements of that. But, you know, I, I think I think ultimately, uh, I think the idea of dismissing getting out of work is, uh, I think it's, it's usually people that are just starting business, they'll talk about what they're going to do uh, when they're, quote, successful, whatever that means, and how they're going to not do what they're doing. And I don't know, it's, a, it's more than just a phrase, but I think we need to work like it's our problem, pray like it's God's problem. And I think if you marry those two together, you'll probably stay pretty close to the track that you need to be on. So you look at the track of your life and like I said, it goes from commercial fishing to, and in the, I'm not trying to encapsulate you in just three or four silos. Cause I'm sure you have far wider capacity or range of business that I even know about, but just generally speaking, going from commercial fishing to construction and general contracting to then being in the medical supply industry and dominating and then also dominating in your global sleep studies and in that program 
you you seem to be the highliner. It's expression from the commercial fishing days, you know, a highliner in all of these walks of life. What is it you're aiming at when you enter a new division or category in business? What are you aiming at? You know, that's a, again, that's a really interesting question because I think a part of that answer is discovered as you as you step into something or as you uh, develop. I think you begin to see things or see things differently that you didn't see, and and I don't think any of us uh, uh, fully see everything on the outset. Uh, and so I think to understand how to aim or, or where I want to go, a lot of people have this expression. They say, uh, you need to think outside the box. And, and then maybe if they generally trickle that out, they say, well, you need to get outside the box. And I would say both of those are probably really short. You need to go stand on the box because it's like an, uh, it's like an artificial intelligence dealing with gaming like chess or any of these sequence games. They have this, uh, module called horizon effect and basically it's how many moves out you can see and so i think where you aim is where you stand you can see farther uh most of us are looking at the same things it's just it's just your horizon perspective your horizon effect and i think when you when you get a vision then you can start seeing where you can reach uh and so how, how you see or where you stand i think is crazy important what would you what business maybe it's not even business what advice would you give to somebody who is struggling financially. You, you are somebody that has, as I said, you have found success in, in every walk. And that's not to say that you haven't stumbled or had some some failures. And we'll talk about that. But what advice do you give somebody who is just literally trying to make ends meet, just trying to get through the week or the month and, and have a couple of shekels on the other side of it? Is there any, any advice that you would give them? Well, <laughs> First of all, Chris, it's, it'd be easy. We could fill a we could fill a whole spectrum of time, and we could talk about my mistakes. And uh, but you know, like in uh, you don't get invited to lecture at business conferences to talk about the businesses you've shut down, or you know, so you, you're supposed to talk about your successes. And but we all have we all have had errors or things that we haven't done. Certainly, they need to be mitigated. You have to have more right moves and wrong moves. Uh, but to say everything you touch turns to gold, I think, is an arrogance that will probably be un undoing to anyone. That said, I think the, I think this. I think there's two things that I would mention to anyone that said, hey, I'm just really struggling and trying to sort it out. What are those two things? And can property make you rich? Well, we'll talk about that and more when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. Direct from Homer, Alaska. Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. Here's the host of Backyard Millionaire, Chris Story. When last we left, Mark Halpin, our backyard millionaire, real-life backyard millionaire, was uh, telling us a few things. He was telling us about, well, life and mistakes he's made or maybe how not to hide from them. And I asked him, you know, a couple of basically you know what advice would you give somebody because this is this is real life it's hard it's easy to hear somebody who has already been there done that and it can be very difficult to even know where to place your foot for the first step forward if you're having a tough time even just making ends meet well what would you do so we asked mark halpin and here's what he said i think the 
I think this. I think there's two things that I would mention to anyone that said, hey, I'm just really struggling and trying to sort it out. Uh, I would probably say this, that currently today, the fastest way to make money is to cut your expenses. So look at all the things in your week and your month you don't need. Take those out and then look at what you do need and build in a few disciplines in your life, a few habits. And then start moving toward that. But it's going to it's going to almost take a, a going backwards before you go forwards. Uh, there's so much available today. Uh, we have so much available. We have so much that gets tied to discretionary uh, spending. or And so those that are in a sector that are just struggling, um, I, think, I think that the fastest way to make money is to cut your expenses. And that looks differently for each one of us. But if I started there, I'd build habits around that. Uh, if you're in credit card debt, I'd pay off the smallest, easiest ones first. I wouldn't worry about the big ones. I would, I'd start what's doable, and then you'll find more motivation and success in that. That's a great philosophy and mindset, really, is to just begin with a foundation. You know, going back to your contracting days, right? It depends. It's not just the concrete. It's what's under the concrete, because the concrete is only as good as what's put underneath it. You cannot and never will see again. That's a great, great way to look at it. You mentioned your mistakes could fill um, volumes and hours of the show. What's the maybe one, if you just look back and you don't have to get specific unless you want to, but like a mistake that, that you've learned probably the greatest business lesson that maybe catapulted you forward. Is there some event or, or generality that comes to mind where you, you blundered and then said, wait a minute, never again. And you shot forward like a rocket from there. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this, it sounds trite, but it's not to me because it's an error I've made. And that is uh, really uh, underdeveloping. And I, I did that on a project and I had a, I had a gentleman I very respected. Uh, this was uh, quite a few years ago. It's when I was in construction and I was doing a project for myself. And uh, he was just so crazy, sharp, and so kind. And he stopped by and he said, hey, you know, Mark, that's uh, – that's an error. And at the time I thought, I thought I was rolling the dice, risking it. I was, you know, I was going all in and, and he said, man, you just, you just came up way short on how you developed that, that, that move is going to cost you. And, uh, I think, uh, obviously you got to swim in your lane and not get over your skis and et cetera, all that. But I think understanding, uh, whatever sector you're in, you just want to maximize that development or that opportunity and not, not shallow it or short it uh, because you can't undo it and redo it. It's just, well, it's just too late in the dance to call it ugly once it happens. So I think how, how we develop our mindset toward it, uh, boy, I, I, I learned a lesson on that. I wound up dealing with that error for a number of years, and every time I dealt with it, I would think about uh, that gentleman's voice in my mind. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I should have just stopped and un corrected it right then. And, and uh, so it's a, it's an error that's held with me, but it's helped me. Mm. And, and it takes some humility to hear that and learn from it and not just rail against it. And we well, don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a certain sense of humility with everybody that I talk to and in my sphere that are, that are successful and farther ahead in life or on the ladder than I am, I noticed that one thing that humility and it not false humility or 
um, anything like that, but, but real humility and the ability to listen, those are a couple of skills or traits, whatever, that really successful people have in common. It reminds me, your comment there reminds me also about Ogmandino, great author, greatest miracle in the world, greatest salesman in the world, just a really terrific guy. He, he had a quote about, may your reach always exceed your grasp. And that reminds me of, of your story there. Mark, I'd be remiss in not going over a story from the 1980s where you and a gang of guys accidentally found yourself in a gulag in, in uh, Russia uh, on a on a commercial fishing adventure. Would you mind sharing that story? Oh wow, that uh, that goes way back. Sure, I was you know, I was young and I was uh, working on the free decay with Tab Tomes and that group, and uh, we had contracted uh, with a with a group out of uh, Texas called Digicon for uh, shooting, laying, and carrying seismic uh, cable up in the Chukchi Sea, and that's what they were using a bit on the oil tracks and. And uh, as we were heading south back to Nome, we slid over toward the Diomede Islands and uh, we're going to stop in a little town there on the American side of the islands. And uh, anyways, we got uh, warship came around the corner and, and uh, oh, a couple hundred soldiers landed on our boat and then a submarine showed up. And then anyways, before we knew it, we were being drugged down to Providenia and put in jail for a couple of weeks in Russia. And what an experience that was. What was going through your mind? I mean, you just describe it like it was a, a wrong turn on the, you know, the turnpike going into New Jersey or something. That, that was huge. And it became an international incident. And uh, uh, late Senator Ted Stevens got involved and helped. But I mean, what was going through your mind while you were in prison in Russia? Well, if you think about the, uh, technology for navigation back back in that era, uh, the 80s, uh, uh, they used to, we used a modality called a sat-nav and, and it would refix on its position every few hours. It just wasn't accurate like it is today. And their water's not red and ours isn't blue. There's not a dividing <laughs> line there. So really it, it was kind of a, it was a, you know, we had a, we had a saying that said, if in fact we we're over the line, it was unintentional, we were unaware. Uh, but uh, we wound up, we wound up actually uh, being hooked up to a destroyer and, and towed down there, and and they put us they put us in a prison, and and uh, uh, it was quite a it was quite an event. On the way, on the way, we devised a small plan to climb up on top of the wheelhouse and turn over our EPIRP so we could uh, locate that uh, signal, and people would know where we were at, and. Uh, what we didn't know was at the time Alaska had an agreement with Russia and they were picking up our EPIRP signals off of their satellites. And so they picked it up first. And so we did a, we did a number of things that kind of uh, stepped us into more trouble than we may have been in, but we were just attempting to do the right things. And uh, it was, really Ted Stevens was so instrumental in the time when we were in, in prison and, uh, uh, we, he was able to negotiate a release for us and we met the Coast Guard ship back out by uh, St. Lawrence Island. Uh, we were towed back out and uh, quite an event, uh, really unharmed. Um, uh, but we were invited never to come back to Russia and I've taken them up on that. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, I, I have to ask, how was the food while you were in prison? 
you know what? It wasn't it wasn't great, but that said, we weren't mistreated. Uh, uh, wouldn't uh, maybe maybe some interrogation, a fair amount of that, and sleep deprivation, but there was no harm. There was no uh, mistreatment of bodily harm. Uh, blindfolded, um, just a few things, but not. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'd probably take the crow's nest over the Providenia prison food. <laughs> So after an experience like that, at how old were you? What, 19, 20 years old? Yeah. Everything from then on has to be a little bit of a cakewalk. Like, you know, any business setback or a storm or some, you know, some falling down in life has to look a little bit like, please, <laughs> you know what I've been through? Did that, did that, is that ever reoccurred to you later or did it have a part to play in the development of who Mark Halpin would become? Well, again, I, I'm certain that it did, and I felt like, uh, you know, I was, I was just very grateful. I was grateful to be out of there and to, uh, you know, we experience a freedom here, and, and uh, you know, we talk about patriotism, and it's real, and, you know, you're watching the movies, and, and uh, you know, people go to jail, and they get a phone call. Well, that doesn't happen over there. Uh, you don't get that one phone call. There's no... There's no attorneys. There's no. So I'm, I, I was thankful. I was thankful to be back in America. And uh, uh, we were contacted by the CIA and uh, debriefed and uh, invited to make sure that we stayed in touch if anything came up or out of that from people that we connected with over there. And uh, I'm sure that it's framed me, but I haven't held on to that experience. I think that's fair. It's not something I go back to as a as a foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, the world is so different today. I mean, it's just things have changed. And like, if you took just the last five years, Chris, uh, and you played the last five years in slow motion, it would still look like a blur. Things are changing so quick. And uh, so I think, I think more than we had more time in between what transitions or decisions we could make. And now it's uh, everything is so compressed together that, uh, we lack think time. We lack the ability just to sort it out. And so you have to be a little sharper, a little bit uh, more nimble to keep moving in today's climate. Whereas then it was more of a settled time where it just seemed like information and time traveled a little slower. If you were to start over like right now and not in one of the categories you're in currently, but you were just to start from scratch, a fresh sheet of paper in front of you, you could do anything go into any business anything at all where would you go right now going forward for the next five ten years you know uh, i'm currently working uh in a relationship with a group of people that are spread out throughout europe the middle east and i think understanding how to work in uh trans transferring out of some of the platforms that we're very accustomed to here uh and uh being more global minded in terms of how to extend ourselves in different reaches. And that's something that's really fascinated me. And so uh, I'm, I'm working inside of a group right now that's understanding that. And everyone in that group, Chris, is so much sharper than I am. They're so much further ahead. And I don't say that modestly. Uh, uh, I've always believed that you should, if you're in a room by metaphor, if you're in a room, you should go stand next to the smartest person. And if you can't figure out who it is, well, it's not you. So it's just get in another room. And, and so this is a group that I have found and 
they have welcomed me and I've attached myself to. And so we're looking at some different platforms for how to experience things across more of a global spectrum and how to, uh, how to understand the financial exchange of that and how to uh, repatriate funds or how to separate things out. And that's been really intriguing for me. And I, I'm excited about the next couple of years as we step forward into that. Mark, I thank you for your time and, and uh, wisdom and over the years mentoring uh, both Tiffany and I, and maybe you don't even realize that you were, but you have been, and it can be a simple conversation. You wanna go on the lunch somewhere, sharing this space with you right here today. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your time and wisdom. Chris, I've enjoyed it. It's been, it's been uh, pretty exciting, pretty fun watching our friendship and your development over the years and just the way that you have handled and uh, developed with uh, just a great one of class. And so thank you for inviting me on and uh, we'll talk again. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. That concludes my conversation with Backyard Millionaire himself, Mark Halpin. If this conversation has intrigued you, interested you to a point where you're like, wait a minute, what did he say about that? Or you'd like to send it to a friend or a family member you think it could benefit, I encourage you to do that by going to my website, ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcasts or wherever you get podcasts, simply type my name in, Chris Story or The Backyard Millionaire and we'll pop right up there. And you can share this episode or any of those that uh, that live there. There's quite a few of them. We're always radio first. So this isn't a simulcast and there'll never be a simulcast. It'll always be radio first here on The Backyard Millionaire because I love radio. I believe in this medium as an art form, a means of communication. And for many of us in it, it's a way of life. Always will be that way. However, these conversations that we have and some of the information, it's evergreen and it should live somewhere. And that's why we've created the podcast version of the show. And it's not to supplant this or to replace, it's simply to augment it and help you share it. So again, it's ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcasts. One of the things that, I, that I've always admired about Mark Halpin and other people like him is intuition. They're trusting their gut, having a feeling and moving towards it. We opened the program with that idea of running towards fear, not away from it. And fear diminishes the closer you get to the thing that you're most afraid of versus getting larger when you run away from it. And entrusting your gut in leading and following. I'm a leader, but in many ways I'm a follower. And I'm careful about what my gut says about who I'm going to follow or how I'm going to lead. So my challenge for you would be to follow your gut, follow your intuition, listen to your superconscious, and then lead. And if you do, we'll follow. Stay tuned because when we return, I'm going to answer the question, can property make you rich? Spoiler alert, the answer is no. When we return here to the Backyard Millionaire. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story, along with Mr. David Webb, producing and engineering the broadcast. Thank you for being here. I want to talk a little bit about uh, can property make you rich in just a moment. But first, can you pick the lock of luck? A lot of people claim that luck is what got them where they are and got them what they've got. So is, is that true? And is there a lock to luck? Can you become luckier? Well, I think so, because within you, 
your subconscious may believe by programming from others, from your youth, people around you, or just your own innate thoughts or fears come to real life and realize in your subconscious mind that you're not worthy. Imagine if you're trying to become lucky in life, you're trying to become wealthy, you're trying to create a million bucks in your own backyard, and yet in the back of your mind is this voice that says, hmm, other people, not you. Who do you think you are? My opening question to Mark Halpin was, who do you think you are? I love to ask people that are successful that. Who do you think you are? I mean, because that is who you become. You are able. You are capable. So this this programming, again, could be of your own doing or maybe it's left to you to undo. Either which way, you can overcome rough circumstances. You can overcome um, a terrible background or a really unlucky circumstance in life if you'll simply start to program your subconscious mind, tap into the superconscious by programming your subconscious mind. All three minds have to work in harmony. And if you do this, and it does take practice and it does take time, you'll learn to pick the lock of luck. Uh, I need another extension on my mortgage payments. I understand that, Mr. Simpson, but according to our computer, your credit history is not good. It says here that you've been pre-declined for every major credit card. It also says that you once grabbed a dog by the hind legs and pushed him around like a vacuum cleaner. That was in the third grade. And well, it all goes on your permanent record. I'm sorry, but if you don't come up with that money by tomorrow, the bank is going to take your house. Well, good luck finding it because I'm going to take the numbers off tonight. Well, we'll look for the house with no numbers. Then I'll take off the numbers on my neighbor's house. So well, then we'll look for the house next to the house with no numbers. All right, you'll get your money. <laughs> Homer, one of the unluckiest people on the planet all right can property make you rich i already gave away the spoiler i already gave away the answer and the answer is obviously no property can't make you rich but you can get rich with property and i'm not trying to be cute because i have a face for radio as my brother will tell you i'm not trying to be cute at all property c is just a vehicle and you're the driver so can property itself make you rich? Absolutely not. Some people have driven the car of real estate, if you will, if it's a vehicle. Understand, some people have driven it over a cliff or smack into a wall. So was it the property's fault? Was it real estate's fault? No. The property, just like any investment really, is neutral. It depends on the investor to put it into gear. You can get wealthy in real estate, but don't assume that real estate will make you wealthy. It's your mindset. It's your mindset that you bring to the party. And either you do or you don't. Your ability to maintain your property, that's up to you. Your ability to treat your customers right, your tenants, that's up to you. That's not the property's fault. The, the leaking roof isn't your property's fault. It's your ability to maintain the property. Now, you're going to hold on to these, these homes. And remember, our backyard millionaire strategy is to own and control four homes in your own backyard and retire a millionaire with passive income. All right. You're going to hold those through boom, bubble, bust. The property isn't going to change. The valuation might. Of course it will. The valuation is going to change maybe quarterly depending upon how you look. But the further back you get, the further up, let's say, 
from 30,000 feet, everything's moving a little bit slower on Earth than when you get right down over the traffic. So you are looking from a distance. You realize real estate is merely a vehicle in which you can drive to the bank over time or you can drive it into a ditch. It's up to you. The real estate doesn't care. So just to emphasize again, real estate or property cannot make you rich, but you can get rich, you can get wealthy using real estate as a vehicle if you drive it correctly. And that's one of the points and one of the tenets of this show is to simply say there is no hurry because in the buy and hold strategy, you're never in a race with anybody but yourself. You're not against racing against time because time looks differently. Do you know how on vacation an afternoon can just feel so different than an afternoon spent in traffic or an afternoon spent at work or in your, your regular rut of life? It's the same with when you take a buy and hold mentality and you approach life through the eyes and the mindset of a backyard millionaire, then everything changes and slows down just a little bit. You recognize and realize that you're not racing against that other person. You're not going to get into massively competitive bids and pay over asking price for a long-term investment. Now, you might if it's the right property and you've done your own research, but I'm just saying you're not in a sprint. You're in a marathon. And you recognize that and you kind of get into your own pace and you realize you're in your own race and that you're not competitive against others, but with them. So property cannot make you rich, but you can get rich through property if you use it right. Which leads me to the golden shovel. I mentioned it in my conversation with Mark help and I want to go over it again that the golden shovel mean is essentially leverage multiplied by effort equals reward and somebody asked me recently about the time and not the time value of money which is an interesting conversation we'll touch base on that later but just the idea of exchanging money for time and I, I subscribe to the Jim Rohn philosophy that you do not exchange time for money yeah, you might get paid by the hour, but that's just a metric to keep track of, of chattel, not people. So I don't, I, don't, I don't ascribe to that. I suggest, just like Jim Rohn did, that you get paid not for your time, but for the value you bring to the marketplace. So when you think about that, you can apply the formula of leverage multiplied by effort equals reward and minimize the effort and maximize the reward, maximize the leverage. If you just put your attention on the leverage and that's where property comes in and that's where becoming a backyard millionaire owning four homes versus owning four cars, right? I mean, you can see one is a wasting asset. The other one's an appreciable asset with, with passive income. Now that said, you could start a cab company with your four cars, but they're going to wear out and that's a whole different animal. So wealth as leverage through the asset acquisition of real estate um, is just the ultimate expression of the golden shovel mean, which is, again, leverage multiplied by your efforts equals reward. So if, if you're a cashier and you think that you're being paid by the hour, your hour is being traded. Are you seriously telling me that an hour of your life is only worth 20 bucks? Or an hour of your life is worth 200 if you're an attorney or a plumber? Right, I think plumbers charge 200 bucks an hour now. I'm kidding, but it feels like it. 
But it's not that. It's the know-how. It's the expertise. It's the value that you're adding to the marketplace. And you can increase that value by increasing your leverage and even reducing your effort. Here's a suggestion because you see this now. You can go into a sundry store. You can go into a um, pharmaceutical company, a you know, pharmacy or, or a grocery store. And everybody's moving to automated check stands. Except for that one person that's clinging on and they're watching. A bit of a, a, a guard, if you will, against pilferage and, and, and there to help solve problems. But 9 out of 10 of those clerks, those last remaining grocery clerks, have an air in my experience of like, eh, just clinging on. And my suggestion to them would be understand the value you add to the marketplace as you cling to that last of those few, the vestigial jobs that are going to remain like that. Your value is going to be in being noticed. Add more value and you'll get noticed. You'll, be, you'll benefit more spiritually and monetarily, but you'll benefit more by showing up to 110% or more of your own capacity and ability, and then you'll be noticed. So when I, AI comes to get your job, and it will even that job, even the last clerk at some point is going to be exited from the company because AI software is going to be enabled to detect the pilfering or problems and solve the problem. And that person that's standing there watching these 10 or 12 machines is no longer going to be necessary. But in the meantime, you could start adding value by simply getting bags ready. You could add value by smiling and making eye contact and greeting. And some do. Again, it's probably maybe two out of 10 that I've observed. So you do not get time paid for the time. You get paid for the value. Thank you for being here. Again, the website is ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast. I want to thank David Webb for engineering and producing the program. Thank all of our wonderful sponsors. And thanks to you for being the other half of my brain today. Because without you, I'm just sitting here talking to myself. Radio is a conversation between you and me. And I appreciate that. I'm going to leave you with this quote from Wayne Dyer. He said, the meaning of life is found in the service of others. When you contribute to the well-being of others, you find fulfillment and purpose. I love that. I identify with that. I, it, it feels right when I hear that. And, and if you've not seen Wayne Dyer's movie, The Shift, may I suggest you go on to YouTube. It's free and watch The Shift. It's a full-length movie, and it might just change your life. For all of us here at The Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you, you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. See you next time.